Abolition. Abolition. I am not a god. In the sense that I can tolerate exploitation, oppression, and repression, my worshipers know freedom ain't free. They know the most potent weapon of control for the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. They know slavery is not a condition. Slavery is a cult. Human trafficking is a cult. Slavery got to rebrand like motherfucking the alt-right. And snatched. Another one gone. Every 30 seconds, another chocolate brown, caramel, yellow, high yellow, red bone refugee girl with melanin in her skin gets snatched. Every 30 seconds. And to make matters worse, these dazzling new plantation owners built a pipeline to take our children from school to prison quicker than a cut can bleed. And the lucky ones go from school to the NFL where they don't even let them niggas take a knee. They've been programmed from birth with shitty food options, contaminated drinking water, gun violence, police brutality, and trauma after trauma after trauma. PTSD, no therapy. Missing, no Amber Alert. Alone. Another one gone. I hear you, brother. And I hear them. I hear each voice. And I write each name. We have lived long enough to know these troubles are timeless. Suffering is not secret. And moral law is final. Sooner or later, they all lay before me. War need not be the answer. <laughs> My queen. The world assumes white people are naturally good. So when something bad happens, it's a good person doing a bad thing. They assume black people are naturally bad. So when something good happens, it's only a matter of time before that animal's true nature rears its ugly head. How much longer How much can we afford to wait? Now I'm looking out my window And what? 
flow And there'll be nowhere for us to go And we will run, run Wishing we had pulled out the fire You just heard the funeral scene of Mr. Anansi from American Gods, and that was followed by Asha, Fire on the Mountain. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Uh, peace, Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, and I can see the fire on the mountain. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So last week we were joined by Georgia organizer Demita Bishop, where she discussed Georgia's early abolition organizing efforts. Demita is the founder of FAIR, Fighting Against Institutionalized Railroading, host of the vlogcast Play Fair Friday, and lead organizer for the Abolish Slavery National Network's Abolish Slavery Georgia campaign. So make sure you check that out in our archives. In this last episode for the first month of 2023, and as we continue to show you how the whole damn system is guilty as hell, we focus on the issue of modern slave catchers, a.k.a. the police. The incentivization of incarceration, police arrest quotas, jail, fines, fees, and the utter inhuman brutality that results from a predatory system built on hunting human beings. We'll highlight the Tyree Nichols case and explain how black cops can be part and parcel of a racist neo-slavery system against people who look just like them. Of course, we've got great music with songs from Oscar, like you just heard, Alicia Keys, Javier Mighty, Anthony Hamilton, Black Thought, CeeLo Green, Selena Johnson, Stephen Marley, C.S. Armstrong, and Angela Hunt. Then we will wrap it up by bringing the words of the abolitionist ancestors back to life for a new generation with an address to the free colored Americans at the Anti-Slavery Convention of American Women in 1837. So before we jump into tonight's topic, Max, how was your week? Man, it sounds like my night got his hands full. Right. <laughs> you know, that's a whole lot of something going on right there that we plan on really uh, pulling together tonight. Uh, and the opening track, uh, man, you know, it's one of my favorite songs, Oscar's Fire on the Mountain. Um, and mm-hmm. what we heard from 
Johnson and Orlando Jones, uh, it's just truly powerful. Slavery is a cult. And to hear Fire on the Mountain have me feel in some kind of way. I think I'm going to be feeling some things throughout this. You know, um, I don't want to be desensitized. So I allow myself to feel some things. You know, because I know when I saw that tape recently, I was numb as hell. But uh, the week has been amazing. We, you know, Every week we're, we're moving forward. We got uh, 15 states on the table this year. Four of them already have legislation. And we're guiding the other 11 towards the same goal of getting their legislation and then getting it on the ballot. Um, so we had our state house meeting uh, with about, it was about a dozen men, which was really good. And uh, yeah. we're moving forward. You know, everybody's doing what they need to do. As a matter of fact, uh, this Thursday, you and I will be meeting with legislators in North Carolina, right, <laughs> to, uh, right. along with Abraham, um, in order to uh, move the North Carolina efforts forward. Yes, we're doing North Carolina this year. Uh, and That's right. just a, a, several events that are coming up, but I won't get into them right now. Uh, we are about to enter into Black History Month next uh, month. Uh, and, you know, whenever we go into Black History Month, I always feel like we don't need to change anything. Like, we, this is us all year long, so I don't know what all you want long. us to do. <laughs> you know? So uh, we, we're, we, we try to do something special, and I have something special planned for next month. Uh, in 1888, Frederick Douglass gave a speech on the anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation in Washington, D.C., it was a huge crowd, and I believe it's the most important speech he's ever given. Uh, it was after 28 years of traveling North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, mm-hmm. Alabama, and seeing the conditions of his people. This was his conclusion of his life's work and what had happened after everything had been passed. And the title says it all. I denounced this so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud. Uh, so it had never been recorded ever before. Uh, that was probably the last time anybody ever heard it was the day he gave it because it's the type of thing they want to bury uh, and not have people here to understand. Uh, and then on the day that the Confederate flag was taken down from South Carolina, many of you listeners probably remember that Bree Newsom was there and she cut down the flag. That was the first time it came down. She literally cut it down and the police arrested her. But we were there mm-hmm. at the same place on the same day, myself, Tribal Rain, and Thomas Washington. But rather than at the flag, which was only a few yards away, we were at the um, Black History um, uh, monolith that they had there showing the history of slavery till today. And there's this pedestal which has four of four stones from the four nations in Africa uh, that many black people were brought to South Carolina from. So the three of us was there with a few witnesses, and we read that speech on video for the first time. <laughs> Nobody else has ever put it on video before. And next month, we're going to transfer that to audio, mix it with a little music like we do, and that will be uh, our special series during our Bridging the Gap uh, series of February. We'll be playing that speech for everybody to hear it, and everybody should hear it. I mean, I always suggest it as must-read. Like, you can Google it right now. I denounced this so-called emancipation as a stupendous fraud by Frederick Douglass and read it. It is a must-read. Everybody needs to have this understanding that he had and remember who he was he was the man that made this possible and this was his conclusion at the end of his fight yeah you hit it right there max you know that was 
you know, who who better to analyze it and report on it than the person who who pushed for it, you know, and to say, hey, calling Lincoln out to say, look, this was hypocritical. It didn't play out the way that it was supposed to play out, and he reported back live from what he was seeing all over the country. You know, and then with all the stuff that went on during the week, I mean, Friday was the culmination of it. You know, when we had Friday at 7 p.m. when the video was released of just how we saw a modern-day lynching. You know, we saw a modern-day lynching where five police officers, five Memphis police officers uh, literally beat a man to death. We, they literally beat him to death, and everyone watched it. I switched from all the major news networks, and everybody was playing it. So everybody saw it, regardless of political affiliation. And surprisingly, all of the networks said the same thing, that these officers, officers were rightly fired, and these officers were rightly charged with murder, because they literally murdered this man. And... The, the you know the, the the part that really really got me I mean everything got me about it but the fact that the paramedics were there and they literally did nothing didn't even touch him for over half an hour just let him lie there and die let his brain continue to swell and just all of the things that happened with it and I expect more people to get charged more people to get fired but yeah Max that was. That was the one. That was the one. Yeah. Uh, right before it came out, I was in a, a discussion with some friends of mine. Uh, uh, one is a prosecutor. Another is a uh, an officer in the Canadian military. Uh, and another one is a former policeman. Um, and we was discussing some of the things. I just had – I was the only one, I think, that decided I wanted to see this when it came out. So I left the mm-hmm. conversation to go do that. But the culmination of that, just the video being released as part of something else that was going on. There was nothing here by mistake. This was all strategy that was being used um, right. from beginning to end. Uh, I believe it was early January when this occurred. Right away they had the video. They knew what was going on. And it was five black cops that had done it. And so they rushed things through. And within 20 days they had fired, uh, terminated officers, and indicted them on charges and arrested them. They got out on bond immediately, but they nonetheless did this all within 20 days. Uh, and then they thought that because this was such a blatant thing um, that you cannot deny, much like the, North, the George Floyd case, that people would probably uh, riot in the streets. And it turned out they thought wrong, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, nobody rioted riot in the streets. I don't think anybody wanted to riot in the streets. Like, we know what we're seeing. We, it's not the first time, and it ain't going to be the last time until we end slavery and stop slave catchers from being out here hunting human beings. But many of us who report on this a lot or have to pay attention, uh, we've gotten to the point where it's not desensitization. It's like a, it's now a further urge to get to the root of the problem, not to deal with the one case so much, but to deal with this whole system. Because the whole damn right. system is guilty as hell. And w- there's no George Floyd Act that's going to change that. 
uh, it's going to take a deeper, more fundamental change than just tweaking laws or adding more laws. Right now, slavery is legal. And what does that make those who capture human beings and put them into a system where they're transferred from citizens to property? What does that make them? Slave catchers. Slave catchers. You <laughs> can't I told call you, them anything else. That's what it is. Right. And, you know, as I've said before, it's very simple. You could save a 1,000 cats a week out of a tree. You could help old ladies cross the street. You could pull people out of burning cars. But all you got to do is catch one slave. And guess what you are? A slave catcher. You know, you don't need to kill two people to be a murderer. And so after the first one, you're a murderer. And that's it right there. Uh, so it doesn't balance out. And we've got nearly a million police officers in the United States, right? And if each and every right. one of them only make one bad arrest every, uh, say, in their whole career, <laughs> just mm-hmm. one. And we know that is way off, right? Just but just one time you said, you know, I don't want to arrest you, but I have to because the law says it. And I just feel like crap, but I don't want to do it. If you ever said that to yourself just one time in your career as a law enforcement officer, and I think every one of them can say that, that's a million people in prison, unjustly. A million, by just that. Right. Your contribution made a difference. Even though it was one, it's just a million. And I'm underselling it because, you know, it's a whole lot more than that. Right. And then, you know, with the – I've seen estimates up to 10% being what they call this bad apples. And then they say it as if that's okay, not realizing – and that means that there are 100,000 people out there who have authorized lethal force at their discretion, and they're rotten to the core, and they're okay with that. Uh, I remember uh, whistleblower Ken Williams, a friend of ours, uh, mm-hmm. said that in his experience, it's about 15% that are corrupt cops. Um, he said it's about 15% that are great cops, the good cops trying to do the right thing. And the other um, 60% or 70% of those who just do nothing and watch it all unfold. Because we saw a lot of that Friday as well. There were some officers that were just standing there watching. Yes. Just standing there talk, watching. Talking about 15% being corrupt. That's not a few bad apples, man. When there's a million cops, you're talking about, what, 120,000 bad cops, corrupt bad cops? That's a freaking army. That's not a few bad apples. Uh, So, you know, it's always a good idea to step back and look at this thing from the larger perspective because that's where it's at. And what's the fruits of their labor, uh, one might ask. Well, what does 120,000 bad cops do with uh, another 70% of the group who do nothing about what the bad cops do, well, it results in genocide. Um, we just had the largest number of people killed by police in the history of America's recording of police killings just last year, 2022. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't gotten less. It's getting worse. So we already breaking records. And if you start multiplying that times a decade, think about what you get. Uh, you know, you're talking about and, – and, and let's include, like, what happens within the prisons, too because prison guards are also responsible directly or indirectly for many of the deaths that happen there, the uh, staff, the the guards, and on and on and on. If you add all those together, it's somewhere around 36,000 people who have been killed by police and prison officials. 
36,000. That's, you know, that's, wow. We just can't, can't imagine, can't imagine. In one decade. In contrast to places like Germany, in the past 10 years, they haven't killed 100 people. And we're at 36,000 plus. And that's counting Germany dealing with people who are armed. Yes. They still dealing find with... a way to bring them to justice without killing them. They still find a way. But here we have allowed police to be executioners. And I look at the, when I step into these situations to view things like that video, I step in already with a foundation of understanding. And that foundation of understanding is that slavery is legal, and these are the acts of slave catchers. I don't need to be convinced of that. So that's my perspective going into this. And when I saw the video, that's exactly what I saw, what you would expect to see from slave catchers out hunting people. And that's what they were doing, right. hunting people. Sometimes they kill you because you've been devalued. Your life has been devalued. You're no more than just a number or percentage uh, or a fee or a fine that they're attempting to get for the larger body who they represent. You know, when we think of uh, – so thinking about this unit, they called it, it was the, the scorpion. scorpion unit. Uh, let me just pull it up real quick. I forgot what it meant. Yeah, and then after we talk about that, we'll get into that first track. Yes, so we're talking about the street crimes operation to restore peace in our neighborhoods. <laughs> it, it didn't look like they were restoring peace. But we think about this unit, and I recall the, uh, the TNT in New York, technical narcotics team, and the street narcotics enforcement unit. They were the culprits behind most of the stop and frisk. Uh, we look at, you know, this the, this chief of police in Memphis. She was also, you know, presiding. She was the chief down in Atlanta before she got fired there, and she was overseeing, you know, a unit called Red Dog that they had to get rid of. And they have a unit called Titan down there now. And I saw uh, Laramie Griffin down in in Louisiana. He posted that, you know, it, it identifies with a unit down there that's called Brave. You know, so they have these types of units all over the country. Uh, in L.A., it's the Gang and Narcotics Unit. You know, if you've ever seen the movie Training Day and you see Denzel uh, Washington's character and the unit that he's part of, these these sort of, they're almost like rogue police units where they operate, you know, they don't have, they have their own little rules. You know, they don't, they don't go to line up, you know, they they operate almost outside of the department, and their primary goal is just hunting in the black community, stopping people, you know, searching them, brutalizing them to get arrested. That's all that's going on. And so intimidation this is, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah that's, it goes on so much, so much, more than it's even talked about, because already with these officers, there are more reports coming out that they've been – you know, people are coming forward now because, you know, now that this has caught so much national attention that they're going to have to investigate all of this because this happens so much, but there's never really an investigation because usually no one sees anything. You know, it, these guys knew to get rid of their cameras. One, you can literally see that the camera was thrown on the ground. 
the body camera. And the other one, I think the pepper spray got on the camera, so you couldn't see anything. And, you know, thank God that that overhead camera was there. Or the narrative would have been that he – he did something. They would have been blaming him for his death. So that's all I wanted to say, Max. I needed to I, put that I out there you. before we went to the next track. I feel the same way, too. We want to say some of the story for in between because we've got two things we want people to hear about. What happened with Tyree Nichols um, and how, how did this unfold? And, you know, a lot of the information is just recent, so we tried our best to put some stuff together for you along with some music if we think really expresses it to the soul as well as the mind. So let's go ahead and play the first one, which is the Memphis cops charged with murdering Tyree Nichols. And it's going to be followed by Alicia Keys' Perfect Way to Die. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. If you want to join us in this conversation tonight, the number is 515-605-9814. Remember to press 1 on your keypad to queue in. We'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. Five Memphis police officers who were fired last week over the death of Tyree Nichols, a black man who died after an encounter with the officers, were in custody and indicted by a grand jury on Thursday on charges including second-degree murder. Nichols, a 29-year-old father of a four-year-old boy, died in a hospital on January 10th, three days after sustaining injuries during a traffic stop by the five police officers. Officials on Thursday said body cam footage of the car stop would be released Friday evening. Earlier this week, civil rights attorney Ben Crump said he and the Nichols family viewed the footage. Regrettably, it reminded us of Rodney King's video. Regrettably. And... Unlike Rodney King, Tyree didn't survive. And so we are here to demand justice for Tyree. In a video posted on YouTube Wednesday, the city's police chief asked for calm when the body cam footage is made public. I expect you to feel what the Nichols family feels. I expect you to feel outrage in the disregard of basic human rights as our police officers have taken an oath to do the opposite of what transpired on the video. I expect our citizens to exercise their First Amendment right to protest, to demand action and results. But we need to ensure our community is safe in this process. The five former police officers also faced two counts of official misconduct, one count of aggravated assault, and two counts of aggravated kidnapping. Officials also said that other Memphis police officers remain under investigation for policy infractions. Simple walk to the corner store. Mama never thought she would be getting a call from the corner. The sun's been gunned down, been gunned down Can you calm down? Tears in her eyes, can you calm down? Please, ma'am, can you calm down?
wad of money from taxpayers, and they'll sign a non-disclosure mm-hmm. agreement. And you'll never hear anything else from them again. And you'll never hear anything about the story except as another hashtag to add to the list that's as long as my family lineage is. Right. You know? Right. You said it perfectly right there. It's just going to continue until there is systemic change. There's to be systemic change. Like, I don't understand how taxpayers, you know, especially those who are the ones who are like, oh, he should have just complied. Like, your taxpaying dollars are going to pay for the lawsuit. Every time when your tax dollars are going up, you know, most of your tax money is going to settle lawsuits against the city. You know, it it has to be systemic change. I mean, it's like you said, it's going to be this case. Probably there's already been cases over the weekend and cases, you know, because that happens all the time. You know, something happens today. We may not hear about it until three or four months from now. You know, so this is ongoing. This hasn't changed. We're pretty sure that since Friday that, you know, officers have beat someone down or, you know, murdered someone or, you know, just out doing slave-catching duties, you know. So this is a a machine, a well-oiled machine. It rolls like a well-oiled machine, and until something is done – we're definitely not talking about defunding the police or any of those types of names that people like to throw out there. But it's it's something that's at the core of policing, and we know it traces its 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 roots all the way back to slavery, Max. Actually, let's talk about that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I pulled up a few articles just to uh, give some of the quotes from these different sources about the origins of policing. And there's plenty of books on it. Um, I've read a few myself, uh, and I've listened to the words of our abolitionist ancestors who's had to deal with them, as well as those who went through the civil rights movement and on and on. But the origins of police come from these areas. So this is from time.com. They said, uh, the title is How the U.S. Got Its Police Force. In the South, however, they say, the economics that drove the creation of police forces were centered not on the protection of shipping interests, but on the preservation of the slavery system. Some of the primary policing institutions there were uh, were the slave patrols, tasked with chasing down runaways and preventing slave revolts, Potter says. The first formal slave patrol had been created in the Carolina colonies in 1704 during the Civil War. The military became the primary form of law enforcement in the South, but during Reconstruction, many local sheriffs function in a way analogous to the earlier slave patrols, enforcing segregation and the disenfranchisement of freed slaves. Pardon me. uh, Let me get a drink over here. My tongue is going wild in my mouth right now. All right. You know, so, how about that? How about that? Oh, I'm sorry, Max. I was going to buy I'm gonna get him out the Ray real. got some water. Yeah, Go I ahead. got it. It's Ray Real. And then from the New Yorker, in the invention of the police, they say, to police is to maintain law and order. But the word derives from polis, the Greek for city or polity, by way of policia, the Latin for citizenship. 
and it entered English from the Middle French police, which meant not constables, but government. The police, as a civil force charged with deterring crime, came to the United States from England and is generally associated with monarchy, keeping the king's peace, which makes it surprising that in the anti-monarchical United States, it's got so big so fast. The reason is mainly slavery. The, the New Yorker. And then mm-hmm. last, we're going to come from, uh, I believe this is Black Perspective. And it's a little bit of a lengthy thing, but I think they break it down pretty good. They say following emancipation, the number of people arrested in the Deep South rose significantly as the substance and enforcement of certain laws changed considerably. In stark contrast to the antebellum period, the vast majority of those now arrested were black. To keep up with the rapid pace of arrests, cities and towns that did not have police forces before the Civil War quickly established professional uniform forces during early Reconstruction. Atlanta, Augusta, Nashville, Memphis, and Richmond all created formal police departments. Now remember, this is Memphis, the very same city we were talking about, right? The undeniable proportion of race-based arrests caused concern. Even during the initial years of freedom, in one petition to the Georgia Freedmen's Bureau, Bureau, the blatant racism of a particular judge was called into question after he punished several African Americans for speaking disrespectfully to whites. Indeed, the petitioners lamented the condition of free people is worse than slavery. Now, they knew what slavery was, and they just said it's worse than slavery. They had just gotten out of it. So it's very fresh in their minds, and they're saying clearly that this was worse than slavery. By the mid-1870s, southern counties recorded alarming levels of racial discrepancy and convictions. Local officials became so heavily invested in policing the freedmen that by January of 1875, 10 years after the 13th Amendment had been ratified, the Greensville Herald warned of a heavy increase in state convicts that fall since local jails across the region were already filled to capacity. Emancipation did, of course, provide the theoretical framework for black freedom and laid the groundwork for a path towards citizenship, but the 13th Amendment also provided the former slaveholders with a slavery loophole. Involuntary servitude was completely legal in conjunction with criminal convictions. African Americans' path towards citizenship would be long and hard, with many obstacles along the way. Despite idealistic promises from the federal government, overturning an entrenched system of racial slavery was a monumentous task, and it still is. Unless local governments were purged of the Confederate sympathizers, true emancipation for Southern blacks was nearly impossible. Historian Steve Ha rightly concluded that vagrancy ordinances, apprenticeship laws, anti-enticement statutes, stiff licensing fees, heavy taxes, the eradication of common use rights on unenclosed land, and the multiplication of designated crimes against property constructed a distinct status of black subservience in a legal apparatus that denied free people access to economic independence. That's the birth of the freaking police in America. Wow. that, that was amazing, and that was uh, on Black Perspectives, and that was by Carrie Lee Merritt. She's a historian mm-hmm. of 19th century American South, 
who has a Ph.D. from the University of Georgia, and her, she's the author of the book Masterless Men, Poor Whites and Slavery in the Antebellum South. Like, and, and, and she's white, by the way. You know, mm-hmm. she really broke that down right there. And I'm looking at, you know, the line, unless local governments were purged of Confederate sympathizers. Right. right. You know, we see that it still <laughs> suffers from that. History is a plagued. synonym. History is a synonym, as you say all the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, we're back at it again. Unless these police departments are purged of Confederate sympathizers, trying to change this is going to be impossible. And the purge has to come through prosecutions of holding them accountable, not just for these single things, but as a collective right. for the crimes against humanity that they have incurred to date. You know, they say ex-cops did this, but they weren't ex-cops when they did it. They were in full right. uniform, under the state's payroll. And then they right. became ex-cops afterwards. And they would just say they were doing their job. You know, if we, as we've seen, you know, we promote the do not resist all the time, and we see how that they're trained. You know, many of them are trained to be aggressive. I mean, we, didn't we hear the president of the United States basically say, rough them up as you're arresting them? Mm-hmm. Didn't he literally tell them that? You know, mm-hmm. uh, when uh, Trump was in office? You know, so there's this mindset. Well, Willie Wilson just said it as a candidate out in Chicago talking about police, he wants to take the the handcuffs off police and unleash them so that if you commit a crime or they think you commit a crime and you start running, they are able to hunt you down like rabbits, quote, unquote, hunt you down like rabbits. This is a mayor, a black mayoral candidate in Chicago that said that. Wow. So... Let's let's deal with this neo-racism for a second, you know, because the topic came up that because these are black officers, we can't look at it that way. There was a heavy conversation about that over the weekend, especially, you know, Van Jones mentioned it on CNN, and of course, people were going all at him on Twitter, you know, because they don't see the root cause behind all of this. You know, and I always, you know, I talk about the Nuremberg trials a lot, you know, when we talk about the Holocaust and people were being brought to justice during those trials. And they were always talking about we were just doing our job like I'm not a Nazi. I was just doing my job. I was hired to do this. I'm, I was hired to, you know, turn on the ovens or lock the gates things of this nature. And this is the same thing we see happening here where people don't want to acknowledge it because they think that when you start talking about neo-racism or Confederate sympathizers that we're only talking about white people, you know, and they're not looking at it like this is a system that we're talking about. This is a system. You just read the history, Max. And, you know, they're referring to a time 250 years ago when they talk about 1704, you know, we're talking about 319 years ago, but it could have been talking about last week. That, you you know, know how that's a system. Um, all white people might not be white supremacists, but all white supremacists are white people. If you follow, 
So it comes from the poor. You know, it's not everybody, but that's where they come from. You know, every white supremacist is a white person. You have proxies for white supremacy, which is effectively sure. what we had here with these five black police people. Uh, police people. It's the same thing you see in Rikers Island, where the large majority, vast majority of those who are prison guards are black people. Ninety-five percent right. of the people in the jail cells are black people. Uh, does that mean that this is not racism in effect? Absolutely not. This is a small percentage of a larger whole, and the system itself is set up to be racist. Um, you know, I was talking with you earlier, and it's maybe a little silly. I'm going to get into the facts of things, but I'm going to go ahead and share the silliness first. Uh, it, reminds mm-hmm. me of, it reminds me of Charlie the Tuna. Uh, remember mm-hmm. him? And Mr. Peanut. Yeah. I mean, where they're literally uh, working to have you eat their people. <laughs> and Charlie is the only one that's not getting eaten because he thinks that they want uh, tuna that have great taste, but instead they want tuna that tastes great. But nonetheless, he's talking about, you know, eating, selling out his people. Go eat some tuna. It's, it's great. You can have it all the time. Make the peanuts the same way. Uh, so right. it's kind of like that with what we're dealing with with the police departments across the country. So let's take a bird's eye view of what it is we're dealing with. As a body, the most common ethnicity among police officers in the United States is white, which makes up 65% of all police officers. Comparatively, Mm -hmm. there are 16.8% that are Hispanic or Latino and 12.1% that are black or African ethnicity. That is 2019. So 65% are white People And this is like a new thing because I've got newspaper reports from when Atlanta hired their first black policeman and told them that they couldn't arrest white people. Like you couldn't even go to white neighborhoods. You had to police your own neighborhood. See? Uh, and let's move on to the sheriffs because sheriffs are often, you know, right wingers, <laughs> white right wingers. Right. And nationally, over 90% of all U.S. sheriffs are white men. 90%. In states like California and Nevada, the number is closer to 95%. And Washington state has no black sheriffs, while its population is over 30% non-white. So that's the body that they're a part of. They're this small percentage of a larger body that has set a system in place to target a specific group and do it a certain way and then send them on and on throughout the system. And when you come into that system, you're not going to change that program. You're either on board or you're not. You know, when you were mentioning from the New York the invention of the police, and they have a sentence here where it says the police is a civil force charged with deterring crime, came to the United States from England is generally associated with monarchy, keeping the king's peace. And we know how most police vehicles, I think all of them have on the side of the police car to protect and serve, you know, and we translate that many people in in the, the non-white communities translate it as for their communities, it's control or patrol and control, you know, keep it, you know, where it says keeping the king's peace. And when they talk about protect and serve, you're like protect what and serve who? Because... Mm-hmm. There was not a lot of protecting and serving going on for Tyree Nichols. There was no protecting and serving. You know, all they wanted to do was control him. That's all you kept hearing from them. 
them wanting to break his arms or bash his head. And all I kept hearing oh, was all kinds of stuff like that. That, that, that was straight terrorism, the way they were shouting at him yeah. like that. But before we get to that part, we got a caller. I believe it is the queen of the world. Uh, yes, it Tavarain, is. is that you? <laughs> yes, it is. Welcome we back to Abolition every- Today, Good darling. evening, good evening. I had just a wanted to comment? make a comment. Oh, yeah. um, I heard a few people talking a uh, day or so ago, and they were commenting on the fact that the five men were black and that it shouldn't really be too much violence afterwards because it was a black-on-black crime. Right. And it's not the fact that it was a black-on-black crime. What matters is it was a power play. It wasn't. Yes. It didn't. Shouldn't matter whether it was a white on black crime, a black on black crime, or whatever. It was a blue on black crime. Mm-hmm. It was a slave right. catcher crime, and the color does not matter in this well, case. Well, it does and matter the because they're they put, finding out right uh, now that uh, they're blue until they're black. They're finding that out real quick. True. Well, go ahead. True. And I have a poem called. Uh, Blue blood until black, mm-hmm. meaning once you're in that uniform and wearing that badge, it becomes a power move. You belong to a whole different brotherhood. Right. Literally a fraternity. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I... it's, it's known to be a fraternity of silence. You protect each other no matter what. I so, attested that from my days in the in the military. I mean, you, there was no black marine or white marine. You were a light green marine or a dark yes. green marine. Yes, and the sad part was this is coming from someone who was black. Mm-hmm. And we've become conditioned. We've History. really become conditioned to think. Like they do. Oh, since it was History black on black time, it's okay. You know, during the antebellum period, uh, many of the overseers were actually black people. They would even go so far as to be the one who would handle the whippings or uh, mm-hmm. the punishment of other uh, enslaved Africans. Yes. It's not much they different get us right now. Against our own. Mm-hmm. We heard Judge Karen or whatever, what was the name? The judge talked about the first time she arrested a black man on the show. We had the clip played here a couple of weeks ago. And she was saying oh, yeah. the first Lynn, time I... Lynn Toler. Yes. And talking about how the first time she arrested a black or, or uh, sentenced a black man to prison was back in 1994. And then she went on to talk about how they are now the product. It's modern slavery, and they have become mm-hmm. the product. But that didn't make her quit the damn job, did it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she continued to do it. And that's where the fire on the mountain A lot of them make excuses, Colin. They had to prove themselves. They did not have to prove themselves. You know, once you you're mean, in that position, it's not a matter of you have to prove yourself. It was a power move. It was a look what we got the power to do. Uh, for those that and don't the know who we're listening to. That they were the... convicted mm-hmm. immediately. And had it been someone who was white, 
It would have taken years for a conviction. Oh, oh, they've shown those samples, examples where it's 14 months, It would have months, taken years months, to see the months. video. Yeah. Um, and, and they held the videos like Quan McDonald's and, and others. Yeah. They had the video mm-hmm. for the very beginning. Um, yeah. So we see that uh, Ben Crump was lamenting that, saying that now this 20-day thing should be the model moving forward. But a friend of mine said, no, not killing us would be the model to move forward, which I, I really Thank agree you. with. You know, uh, we don't care about the prosecution. How about you stop killing us? Because that was somebody's this open son. genocide needs to stop. Yes. We have a, another caller. Let's go ahead and bring them in. 8762, uh, you're with us on Abolition Today. Hi, guys. I have a question. So if the family Thank you, Ren. can't pit- Hey, guys. Hi. Hi, Yusuf. Hey. Hey, hey, Tribal. Hi, Queen. Hey. <laughs> um, hey, if the family can't take money for their pain and suffering, what would you guys recommend? What would be the next solution for them? Because they deserve something. If it's not, you know, a way to, you know, be free from stress, I, I what would you guys recommend? I just know that okay. is the nail in the coffin. That's how it all ends, along with a non-disclosure agreement, or not to talk. They agree not to talk about it any further after they've got compensated, which is impossible. How do you compensate for the life of mm-hmm. child? You can't, right? Um, right. Personally, I think that uh, it should come directly from the police union or the police themselves. Not the taxpayers shouldn't be paying uh, these civil lawsuits off. Um, I also think that there should be a fund established for every time that these occur. You have an equal amount goes into a fund that is able to uh, help rebuild these communities that are being destroyed by slave catchers. I agree. But that's just my opinion, you know, um, on the issue. Yusuf, do you have anything? No, Max summed it up perfectly right there. That was the perfect summation of it. All right. Um, well, if that's the case, then let's go ahead and get to to the next track, unless one of you has something else you want to say. You know, the only thing, and I mean, this will be a continual conversation when I think of the Casual Killing Act, you know. 1669. 1669. Yes. Yeah, and we see it every time when these killings go on. And the thing with the Casual Killing Act, it was basically like, you know, if uh, if if any slave resists his master or his owner or other person and a whole bunch of talk that they have with that, then there's no blame on the person who did the killing. And we see this happen all the time. This is why we see all these officers, not in this case, but most of the times that there's no charge brought against them because they still carry that legacy of the Casual Killing Act. In fact, you and I did a great episode called the Casual Killing Act of 2020 Mm -hmm. when it was like open season day after day, week after week during 2020. And then it got worse. Yeah, I was going to say we never thought we'd see – Worse than that, but we actually did. We saw it last year, and I just right. wanted to bring up that, the Casual Killing Act of 2020. And you know, it wasn't limited to white men killing those they deemed were enslaved to them. It also protected white women 
who uh, would often kill the babies of the enslaved African women who had been raped by their husbands. Uh, right. The term gator bait, for instance, is where they would use it, use babies as gator bait. Uh, they would bash their heads against rocks to, to murder them, newborns, uh, in hate. Uh, so it was meant to protect their wives in many instances. But anyway, let's go ahead and get into this next clip regarding the Tyree uh, Nichols circumstances. And this is where police started warning us <laughs> that we should brace for protests, as if protests were nuclear weapons about to be fired from Russia or something like that. We should brace for right. protests after the video was released, because they really expected Negroes to act a fool. But I don't think they realize it's never been us that's been doing that, uh, that goes right. to those extremes. We're not the ones that think about killing people for every slight and wrong. Uh, but nonetheless, let's get on to it. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. Abolition. Abolition. With the city of Memphis and the country on edge tonight, CBS News has learned that police chiefs in major cities across the country are working together to prepare for the backlash after that arrest video is released. CBS' Jeff Pegues covers law enforcement and is also in Memphis for us tonight. So, Jeff, tell us what you're learning. What are these cities doing to get ready? Well, law enforcement is really concerned right now about this video and how it's perceived. There is this concern that it could spark protests and demonstrations, and that's why, really since the beginning of this week, you've had a series of calls, information sharing between local PD, Memphis PD, as well as state and federal officials. There's been planning and preparation that began at police departments nationwide, and police departments were told last night that the video would be released Friday evening after schools were out, after businesses were closed for the day. In D.C., the police department there was fully activated. All sworn personnel called in. In New York, the NYPD will go on heightened alert and officers will be deployed to the hot spots where protests have happened in the past. And just so you know, the video that we're talking about here, I haven't seen the content of the video, but of course it comes from a body cam on police officers across this country have to press the button, button capture the video. Also, there's what's called a sky cop, which is a fixed camera. So the video that we will see is coming from cameras like that. And Nora, there is concern among law enforcement that what the public sees tomorrow could spark a backlash that law enforcement will have a difficult time recovering from. I got the over-the-shoulder look pat down. I'm me that the boy want track down. Both squad pulled up, so they ran down. Locked doors so the door get rammed down. Man time, so my heart just sank down. Bright ass lights when they scan down. Warn my boy, so I flag down. Look away from me, it's to me dash up. I got the over-the-shoulder look pat down. I'm me that the boy want track down. Both squad pulled up, so they ran down. Locked doors so the door get rammed down. When they see them, my heart just sank down. It seems that the boy want crack down. What fuck, bro? Man down! Y'all need to broaden your scope. Picture you got darker skin and broaden your nose. I be sick when I be thinking about the trauma we know. This shit is scripted, watch the drama unfold. You hear them sirens, that's the sound of the law. They say be silent with their hands on your jaw. They say you violent, but they act like they God. They want submission. 
They'll let your ass get ravaged by the dogs Cause there's a system And my black ass just don't fit it Oh, I get it She's a race game And this game is hopeless From the 60s, they displaced the oceans Back then, they made slave patrol and night watches They became the roaches Immigrants to this gate is open Did the whole mile and this came the closest So why walk with this strange emotion In my head, cause this braid is rough and shame Now I'm built safe in the trip, show pill Wipe on the strip like a six course meal And I ain't tryna get caught up But I would never play if I don't need no deal I never straddle the devil If it's hot, I don't handle the kettle They might hand you or shoot you, whatever Wipe on the right, so me go left Cause if them not see me, then it's no stress Weight is on my back, I'm getting no rest Better see the man, them at the protest They say I'm a waste, but I'm focused Blizzard in the way, it's the coldest when you see us play like you don't know us I just pray to why them never roll up I got the over the shoulder look back down I'm eating at the boy one track down Whole squad pulled up so they ran down Locked doors so the door get run down They inside so my heart just sank down Bright ass lights when they stand down Warn my boy so I flag down Look away from it, it's coming dash up I got the over the shoulder look back down I'm eating at the boy one track down I pulled up so they ran down Locked doors so the door get run down When we see them at art just shut down It seems that the boy won't crack down What the fuck bro?
but he's also one of the people that's always on the front line for reporters talking about these types of issues. Uh, and okay, uh, okay, well that yeah, clears that up out. for me. But yeah, it's a medical yeah. condition, I think. Okay, that that clears that up for me. You know, but uh, when we when we think of all the protests that have happened. Well, when it first starts out, we have the people out there calling for, look, we want the officers arrested. We want them to go through the same due process that any other person would would be held to. In fact, these are officers. These are supposed to be the upstanding citizens, so they should be held to a higher regard. That's what the people usually are protesting for. you know. And then, like you alluded to earlier, you have the other groups out here who want, you know, chaos and anarchy and all of these things who mm-hmm. infiltrate or as the as the saying is the outside agitators that usually come in people that you know i know people that were on the ground there in ferguson when it happened and they even said as as the crowd face was starting to change even in baltimore they said these are, you could see that these people were clearly not from there you know, from these areas, they come in to agitate things. No, the people are usually calling for justice. And in this case, justice was swift, at least this portion of it, at least the officers being fired and, you know, being arrested and charged. That happened fast. So, yes, you're not going to see what you would normally see, you know, where the people are doing the other things that usually happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. They did all of it on purpose, including – uh, releasing at 7 p.m. after business had shut down and people was home from work for the day shift mm-hmm. um, and on a weekend, too. Uh, they did it all on purpose. And some of the businesses boarded up their windows as if they expected Molotov candles to start being thrown. I think they had this feeling, this sense of pending danger, like at any minute anything could blow this whole thing up in our faces. Uh, again, that's not us. <laughs> We're not the ones right. running up into the Capitol with Confederate flags. You know what I mean? We didn't bomb a whole now. city block in Tennessee. That's right. not us doing that, you know? That's somebody else that you're worried about. We're the ones you see on the pictures with the dog grabbing you by the arm or the leg or the shirt, right. and we're standing there taking it. Or we're, we're hunched over with a water hose being sprayed on it. That's us. You know what I mean? You got right. us mixed up with the wrong people. <laughs> right. You know, there's those who would right. prey on the chaos. They want the chaos, anarchy, and, uh, you know, all of this. They want that to happen. They want to overthrow the whole system to the point where they will do what they did on January 6th. Uh, but we, you know, if that was black people, we all know what would have happened on January 6th. If that was black people that ran up in the White House like that, you wouldn't just right. see the National Guard, the international uh, community, NATO, would be coming in our eyes. They'd be calling right. friends to kill some of us. Right. You know, when we'd, we'd be looking. Pro- yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say we'd be looking at what they did to Move Nine is like a kumbaya yeah. of it. Kumbaya. We, we we know we can't get away with that stuff, and it's not us doing it. Just saying, but we get we getting blamed for it. So they expected everybody to ride. Nobody's riding. Uh, they had their peaceful protest. Uh, we're all just numb at this point. We're tired, sick and tired, and we want to see the whole system stopped. We don't want this gradual emancipation they talked about back in the day. Um, we don't want to see uh, gradual decades and decades long changes from little tweaks here and there. The system is criminal. The system is practicing crimes against humanity that include slavery and genocide 
and they need to be held accountable for this. It has to stop, that's and it, it begins with that's it right there. The legal it begins with the legal aspect, because you know nothing gets changed in the United States unless it's changed in the courts, and that begins by taking these exception clauses out that allow slavery to exist. As long as slavery exists, there's going to be slavers who are going to be profiting from it. Right, and as long as there's that financial incentive, then you're going to have units like this running rogue out there because their primary duty is to make arrests. Right. And speaking of rogues, let me give you a list of a few things that just happened all in the same basic period of Tyree Nichols, right? There was a 12-year-old mm-hmm. boy who was killed by police. The police was uh, after they were trying to stop the car. Uh, I guess the, the man who was driving it said he, he was scared uh, and was trying to get to a lit area. In the car was his son, 12 years old. Uh, the police used some new type of technique they got where they caused the car to flip and killed the 12-year-old boy. They knew there was a 12-year-old boy in the car the whole time and did it anyway. And they kind of bragged about it after they had done it. Uh, mm-hmm. Then in South Carolina, they had a cop who just got fired for choking his grandfather. Well, why was he choking the grandfather? Well, they had set up this thing in South Carolina where they were uh, drug dealers, pretending to be drug dealers, not just the me- mediocre drug dealers, but the guys who supply the product. And then they set up a sting for anybody that would come and get the drugs to be drug dealers on their behalf. And when they would show up, they would arrest them and put them in prison. Well, this grandfather happened to be pulling out of the house that they had the sting for at that time, and they thought that they'd lost the drugs. The drugs were still there. They just hadn't seen them. So they went after the grandfather and immediately started pulling him out of the car and beating on him and choking him and all of this stuff like he had just stole some drugs. But they set the whole thing up from beginning to end, uh, terrorizing this man. And then also in Greenberg, I believe it's Georgia, Greenberg, Pennsylvania, uh, there's a police chief who's facing federal drug charges right now. Apparently, he wasn't only selling drugs on a high level. He was selling them via freaking mail. He was mailing this stuff out to people, you know, to get these drugs. And he was the police chief. And this is just a few that happened during the same time period as Tyree Nichols. And this is everywhere you look. It's just, it's outrageous that we allow it to happen. And that's why the title of tonight's show is Fire on the Mountain. And and nobody seems to be running, like Asha said. Every day, people are going through these horror stories every single day. At what point do we no longer think they're expendable? Damn. What a question. At what point? Right. What has to happen? What has to happen? We got a couple of callers here, and your line's still open if you want to make any questions or comments or anything. Don't forget to unmute yourself if you're saying Yeah, you have to unmute yourself. Um, All right. So, yeah, man. Oh, sorry. Hi, guys. Go ahead, Karen. My question would be, do you think that officers, for example, resisting arrest, I just learned that they don't need to associate a a crime with resisting arrest. They can just (laughs) say they resisted arrest. And I didn't even know that. I thought there had to be a crime associated. Do you think that there are laws like that that make it normal for them to behave in such outrageous conduct, like, you know, where they can pretty much create ways to make someone quickly look like a criminal, quickly look like they have to defend themselves even if there is no real evidence? Do you think laws like that is what's making it 
I'm just trying to find a reason. <laughs> so maybe um, it's a, it's it's the, good. I was going to say, Corinne, you're a regular listener to Abolition Today, so you always hear us talk about the fallacy of the Fourth Amendment and the Sixth Amendment and the Eighth Amendment and the Thirteenth, Fourteenth, Fifth. We talk about these things all the time, and we always talk about how the un, uh, illegal searches and seizures, and this is something that gets tossed around in the courts all the time about Terry stops and these and investigative detention. See, that's the thing. All they have to have is this this legally vague term called a reasonable suspicion, and that's discretionary. So driving around, like we heard uh, Savannah say, she was her air conditioner was broken, and she was and she driving had the window the windows down, mm-hmm. and he found that suspicious, so that's a reasonable suspicion to him to stop her. See, as long as these type of laws are in the books, they give them a, give them an out. It feeds their racism, their prejudices, all of the things that they have. Uh, who was the one that got stopped in New Jersey, Max, two o'clock in the morning, through the tenant uh, windows, and the cop claimed that pa- he saw pa- a, a marijuana seed? Yeah, Palmetto yes. Star. You know these reasonable suspicions. So that covers them when they start talking about a person resisted arrest. You know, because well, they had a reasonable suspicion for stopping the person. I would like to know if the deans, I guess, of abolition today, what, are you guys in support of immunity for them? What is it, a qualified immunity? That's my uh, no. student question. Um, of no, course absolutely not. not. No, there should be no qualified immunity. You can't come up here talking about, I didn't know at the time that I was violating his rights. Oh, the hell with that. Uh, you didn't know That's at the time crazy. that he was going to die when you murdered him? Right. <laughs> you know, you had your knee on his neck for eight and a half, eight minutes and forty six seconds, but you had no idea that that would eventually kill him. Even when he's telling you, "I'm dying, I can't breathe." Yeah, <laughs> yeah just Judy says ignorance of the law does not disqualify you from having to follow the law. So they could learn that from Ex- ABC. Except if you're a cop. Yeah, except if you're a cop, yeah, sure. because that's what qualified <laughs> immunity tells them that basically. You're covered if you didn't know what you were doing was violating a person's rights. Um, I want to give a shout out to Javier Mighty. That song was powerful. Protest. Uh, it may be hard Love for it. some to understand it, but you know this was Love an it. international uh, collaboration they put together, and I thought it was very powerful. Uh, you know, why not? There's some time. I, I want to break something down for everybody, right? Go and for it. We're word warriors to a very large degree because often it's definitions and words and terminologies that turn murder into unsolicited, unsolicited, uh, unsolicited suicide, right? <laughs> or unsolicited assisted suicide. So you got murder, and if you change it around a little bit, it becomes unsolicited assisted suicide. So it's a word warrior thing. And one of those words that really screw us up is mass incarceration. And you know, we're challenging mass incarceration like is the centerpiece of your social justice efforts and somebody asks you to define the term because it's not in the dictionary and you point Mm -hmm. to a period in time that's not a definition that's a moment that's a series of events a description of effects and not a cause if you're next asked is it legal anywhere this mass incarceration and you have to think about it for a while because you never have before then why would it be the centerpiece of your efforts at the least bells should go off in your head 
as you realize this moment you speak of as a thing to be fought has no numerical limits prescribed by law. There is nothing, absolutely nothing in law anywhere stopping incarceration rates from doubling, tripling, or even quadrupling. You have to wonder in awe at the devious cunning which provides full protection from accountability to a crime against humanity. So when the third question gets asked, can it be abolished? It should be obvious in your comprehension just from considering the prior two questions that no, it can't be abolished because it's a description and not a cause, a symptom and not a source. Even as a description, those two words, mass incarceration, they hide lies and misinformation within. It implies mass that this issue is an equally shared national burden, lies. If mass incarceration were truly equally experienced demographically, there would be 5 million more white people in prisons right now. It provides mm -hmm. no indication of racial or class bias, leaving one to assume that there is none. Nor does it point to a system of people who could be held responsible. It's a neutered accusation against no one. And the process of incarceration is exactly that, a process. A majority white population elects races as AFMS legislators. The legislators criminalize cultures, fashions, fads, habits, vices, and conditions of minorities. The predominantly white-controlled police force, 90, remember I said 90% of all U.S. sheriffs are white men who only make up 30% of the national population. Then they enforce these racist laws, and examples will be sagging parents and marijuana pro prohibition. They aren't sent to middle-class and upper-class communities to enforce anything. Instead, they infest and assault poor and minority communities where their presence exasperates already declining conditions and ruins or stunts lives and growth for generations to come over some BS. Uh, according to the recently released Uniform Crime Report from the FBI, more people were arrested for cannabis in 2019 than for all violent crimes put together. After the spade catcher catches you, you're then subject to a 95% white prosecutorial pool who happily deny your rights in a 95% plea bargain royal railroading scheme, a systemic Sixth Amendment violation in a racially biased environment. You're also subject to wholesale Eighth Amendment violation fees and fines through a costly cash bail system that rewards the wealthy and punishes the poor. You're denied competent counsel, denied a fair and speedy trial by a jury of your peers, hit with unreasonable fines and fees, and then funneled forcefully into a system that is rife with cruel and unusual punishment, where every sentence for any felony steals your humanity, your rights, and citizenship under the application of the 13th Amendment, and then places you in an environment where you may face potential death sentences inside a hellhole on earth, where the Department of Justice is suing states who non-repentantly and blatantly persecute prisoners with torture, violence, hardships, and 8th and 14th Amendment violation. And that's just part of the process of incarceration. A time period, a series of events, and a process is not a thing to fight. And this term, mass incarceration, is little more than a cover for accountability and a deterrent to literally physical liberation. You know what describes all of that and more in one word? What points directly at the perpetrators? What describes the victimized and how? What's illegal everywhere and can be abolished? Slavery.
the same exact word used in the U.S. Constitution as an acceptable punishment for a crime. Use it. Yeah, Max. Yeah, Max. Get up on that soapbox, brother. That's it. And I, I, I love the I love the way you closed it. Like, you know, yeah. Everything you described is summed up in one word: slavery. And that's the word that appears in the U.S. Constitution and constitutions all across this nation. And this is why we have the Abolish Slavery National Network and all of the partner organizations working to abolish slavery from constitutions all across the country because that's how you bring this system down or you, you make a dent because we, we know we'll still have to deal with the mentality associated with that. But the thing that's going to be making changes is removing slavery. That's right. the thing. That's how you that's disconnect from that legacy of slavery. But that that's was the well beginning said, of the end. Max. Well said. Thank you. Man. Thank you. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. Lorraine, you were getting ready to say something? Oh, I just called him the dean. <laughs> <laughs> the dean, right. I'm I'm here to teach, so I just want to make sure they understand the words that you're using sometimes aren't helping you; they're hurting you. You know, right? You got to get your get your mind right. Understand what it is you're dealing with here. Uh, and you know, a lot of people would avoid saying slavery because they feel uncomfortable with it. But it's what the Constitution says. <laughs> you know, it doesn't say another word. It says slavery. And that's why you hear people, when they report on this issue, skip the slavery part and start talking about involuntary servitude. Why? Because it's more uh, socially uh, palatable. We don't want to say slavery because, you know, slavery? Come on. But that's what it says. Well, I think it would be a good idea for us to uh, go into another another last track. track Yeah, last track for the evening. Um, and, then and this we'll, is a great uh, one. This is a great one. Yeah, uh, this is another breakdown for you. Well, you know, we want you to leave here understanding as as much as you can. It's a very complex system, and we can't put it all together in one show. But we can show you components of it and stick to topics like today's topic, which is slave catches. Um, so this is uh, Xavier Lincoln Looper, and he talks about the Thirteenth Amendment post past. So after it had been passed, and that's going to be followed by Salam Remy, Is It Because I'm Black, featuring Sandra Bland, Anthony Hamilton, Black Thought, CeeLo Green, Selena Johnson, and Stephen Marley. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. There's a fire on the mountain. We'll be right back after this. Abolition, Abolition. So I just came back from the gym, and while I was there, I got to think it. Black Americans make up just over 13% of the United States population, but they make up almost 40% of the prison population. Many white people will tell you that that's a culture issue, which is just code speak for they believe that the black race is inferior. But let's trace history into present day. At the time of the 13th Amendment, not all states had prisons. But after the 13th Amendment, which made slavery and indentured servitude acceptable as punishment for crime, the United States created laws called the Jim Crow Laws, which basically made it illegal to be black. And every single state started investing in their prison systems 
and targeting black Americans. Fast forward to the Civil Rights Act of 1963, which abolished blatant racial discrimination within law. There was a huge population of black Americans in prisons because the United States had been targeting them. Were reparations given? Were black Americans freed? No. A decade after the first Civil Rights Act, the United States privatized prisons, which means the U.S. made it even more profitable to throw United States citizens behind bars. And the more black people that have felonies, the less rights that they have. And then the United States started targeting black Americans once again with the war on drugs. In the words of John Ehrlichman, assistant to the president for domestic affairs, I quote, we knew we couldn't make it illegal to be black, but by getting the public to associate blacks with heroin, we knew we could disrupt those communities. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. End quote. The United States keeps finding new ways to target black communities. The prison system negatively affects all of us. However, it disproportionately affects black Americans. Learn up. It's time, y'all. It's time. It's this thing that I'm holding in my hand, this telephone, this camera, it is quite powerful. Um, social media is powerful. We can do something with this. If we want to change, we can really, truly make it happen. You know, we sit out here and talk about, oh, we need the next so-and-so and this and that. No, you don't. No, you don't. Start in your own home. Start with you.
Today.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. You just listened to Xavier Lincoln Luker on Post 13th Amendment, and that was followed by Salam Remy, Is It Because I'm Black, featuring Sandra Bland, Anthony Hamilton, Black Thought, CeeLo Green, Selena Johnson, and Stephen Marley covering the timeless Phil Johnson classic, Is It Because I'm Black? You know, and Xavier, you know, he he broke it down. You know, I believe this was a TikTok video, you know, and, you know, for people to know, there's some really good content out on TikTok. So when you hear TikTok, don't run away from it. I mean, I'm not on there. I just don't have the time to be a TikToker. But uh, he broke it down. And, I mean, he gave the history. He made the connections. And then the song is (laughs) apropos, you know, apropos, you know. Was it because Tyree Nichols was black? Was it because Sandra Bland was black? And we can run down a whole list of names. Was it because they were black, Max? All you got to do is ask history. History will tell you. Yeah. Yeah, the proof is in the pudding, as the saying goes. We're coming up on the anniversary of the ratification of the 13th Amendment, which... Uh, on February 1st in 1865 was signed by Abraham Lincoln. Um, mm-hmm. It was the beginning of what we would see afterwards with convict leasing, and which morphed into chain gangs and become mass incarceration and warehousing bodies. Um, so it's it's kind of, you know, I'm not really a big fan of celebrating the day because it's like celebrating a lie. It's, to me, it's like celebrating Juneteenth. It didn't happen that way. And this is just rewriting history to... Uh, glorify people who didn't do what you think they did. Uh, But nonetheless, on that day, I'm going to be joining a panel uh, to discuss the question of the 13th Amendment. Did it or didn't it end the practice of slavery in the United States? I'll be joined by Geronimo Aguilar from Legal Services for Prisoners uh, with Children, uh, Sean Kyler from the very Institute of Justice, and uh, of course myself. And I also see that we'll have Dorsey Nunn will be there as well. Uh, This is going to be sponsored by Freedom United, which is an anti-slavery organization 
international anti-slavery organization and was the first of those uh, types to recognize what we're doing here as fighting slavery. Because, you know, there's a lot of anti-slavery organizations across the world, and this is the only one that recognizes prison slavery as part of slavery. And I'm very right. happy to hear that. So I'll be joining them on February 1st. Uh, there's a link that you can find on Twitter, and I'll also put it up on Abolition Today as well as my page. So you can come and tune in on that while I, I you know, I drop the knowledge, like um, exactly what's happening. Also, I spoke to Sister uh, Dr. Joy James recently, and she asked me to come in on February 13th to be a part of a new program she's helping to put together called Guerrilla Intellectual University. And it's kind of a play on what we did when she was on the show with uh, the phrase that we use for academics. Um, but anyway, that'll be on the 13th at 7.50 or 8 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time. A little early, uh, but it's part yeah. of a new series they're <laughs> putting <a> together. <laughs> right. <laughs> on a Monday. So I'll be there 8 o'clock on the 13th. I just want to put those things out there so uh, people can follow our work and uh, support along the way. Yusuf? Yeah, and we're going to have uh, a lot of good stuff. You know, I've reached out to a lot of people, and, I mean, if I can get just two or three of the people that I've reached out to. We're going to we're going to have some uh some big names that are involved in this movement for various aspects, you know, so looking forward to that. But that's well, huge with that uh what is it? Freedom International? Yes, Freedom that's United. Huge. Freedom United. Freedom yes. United. That's huge. Right. Well, we that fought for huge. years for that. Uh, and have right. one recognize it and participate and support, I think, is great. Uh, hopefully the others will see that this is uh, true in every sense of the word and follow suit. Um, it's almost as if they've been hypnotized to forget that for from 1619 all the way up to 1865, slavery was legal, like, for that whole period. And, and right. so now they can't see legalized slavery. It's like it don't exist in the world no more. We don't know nothing about that. But, yeah, that's slavery, too, done by the state. And it, right, because they don't understand what accept means. <laughs> well, there's three words they use in our constitutions. Uh, I believe it's accept, yes. otherwise, and unless. So when you see one of right. those, you know they're about to pull a fast one on you. Accept, otherwise, and unless. And fast one they pulled for sure. They really well, did we, pull a fast one. We got about ten minutes or le actually less than ten minutes left in the program. I want to give our callers a chance to chime in if they like Tribal Rain and Corinne. If there's anything else, and if you're on the line because we got a lot of people on the line, uh, press one on your keypad so we know you have a question or comment. And the number is five one five six zero five nine eight one four. All right, uh, Tribal. Anything you want to add? You're on mute, honey. Uh, oh, for those that know, I meant to introduce her before. Travel Rain is the CFO for the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. She's a member of the Abolished Slavery National Network, and she is my wife of 35 years, 35 years, I believe, something yeah, like that. I think it's 36, <laughs> yeah. Max. You better get that number right, man. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, anything you want to make, any comments or questions? I just want to tell our people to wake up, wake up, and get this knowledge. 
because we are in slavery and we won't get free until you recognize it for what it is and make the the decision to go out there and make a change. Right. Thank you, uh, Traverine. Uh, much appreciated. Yeah, um, thank you so much she, for that. She is an awesome uh, jeweler as well. She makes custom-made jewelry, and she's a publisher for Prismatic Dreams Publishing. Uh, she's published over 150 books, I believe, and a good number of those were for people who are currently incarcerated. So she works with the incarcerated wow. to get their books published. Uh, so if you're interested in supporting her work or you need publishing, uh, you might want to look some good-looking jewelry to wear, whatever style you like. Uh, what website should they go to <laughs> Travel Ring? They can find me on Facebook, on Instagram. I am currently in the process of updating our personal website, so those would be the best two venues. All right, that's Tribal, R-A-I-N-E, uh, at Tribal, T-R-I-B-A-L, R-A-I-N-E. Don't forget the E at the end, okay? All right, Tribal. Uh, Corinne, and we do have another hand up, too. Sean. Oh, I just wanted to say that um, for you, Susan, um that I am part of the events coordinating team at Vermont Law School and Graduate School, so my people will connect with your people because they definitely need this knowledge. And um, I love what you guys said last week about new swan, a new breed, and I said we're going to create new swans. They're, that's their mm-hmm. team people. We're going to create new swans of abolitionists who are going to law school and graduate school. So shout out to you guys for um, aiding the youth. 25-year-old, you're used to. So. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Corinne. Yeah, uh, I believe the children are the future. Teach them well <laughs> and let them lead the let way. Oh, wait, that's the a way. song. <laughs> yes. Uh, I've I tried to educate at least three generations now, and we finally get to the point where we can see a light at the end of the rainbow, and it's because of their uh, vigor and youth and energy uh, and determination. They're not as conditioned as many of our elders are. I believe Frederick Douglass said that it is easier to raise strong children than to repair broken men. Broken and, men. Uh, right. And I've always kept that in my mind with our young. And try right. I stay wearing rings that I got from you, and people be looking at this rock. So shout out to Tribe. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't seen that Tribal Rain jewelry, you, you're missing because and it's a it's lot of people that wear it. Yeah. Shaped like Africa, too. Shaped like Africa. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Brother Sean, darling, welcome back to Abolition Today. He's our representative out in Maine. Hey, guys. I'll keep this brief because I know that the show's winding down, but I just wanted to thank you for the education um, that you've provided, you know, kind of looking at what's happened recently, you know, through a slavery abolitionist um, perspective. It's not just, you know, People seem to think, you know, slavery is just labor, you know, whereas you've demonstrated, you know, that it's the power of the masters being transferred to the state. So when people are being killed, when they're being beaten, when they're being tortured, that's slavery as well. It's not just, you know, unjustly taking someone's labor, you know. So right. um, I just want to thank you for expanding my notion of what slavery is and, you know, <laughs> seems to have been very watered down, you know, in the last few decades or maybe century, you know, of what slavery actually is, you know, so um, being treated as state property, you know, um, 
and, and you know, having your life being taken for being taken for no reason or being, you know, beaten or tortured for no reason is also slavery. Thank you, Sean. I, yeah, I appreciate definitely appreciate that. that. Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. Thank, thank you, um, guys. You know, uh, when I'm on with Joy James, which is what something you set up, Sean, as a matter of fact, uh, with this right. connection with Joy James, when I'm coming on yep. with her, she wants me specifically to address the differences between prison abolition and slavery abolition because they're not the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I right. you know, it, it frustrates us when prison abolition kind of rides on the work that we're accomplishing. So you, they get mm-hmm. called into the media and they get the money and the sponsors and all of that stuff like that while we're here talking about real slavery, you know. Um, so I'm going to try to break that down for them because it's not just those two. There's actually four narratives that are vying for control over what it is we're dealing with within our justice system mm-hmm. and our prisons. Um, so we're slavery abolitionists unashamedly, and we break it down exactly uh, the facts of how that applies. But it's not just us. You've got prison abolitionists, you've got prison slavery abolitionists, and you've got criminal justice reformists. And we don't agree either on what it is we're fighting or how is the best way to end it. Um, and we hope that you consider our argument as slavery abolitionists that all the proof is in the pudding. The 13th Amendment allows it, and it's being practiced, in fact, by our states. All right. With that being said, um, thank you, Sean. Thank you, Tribal Rain. Thank you, Corinne, for calling in. Thank our mm-hmm. listeners tonight. Uh, this was a difficult task, but I think we did the best that we could to make it very clear that the whole damn system is guilty as hell. Is guilty and as all hell. You, all you got to do to be a slave catcher is to catch one slave, not dozens. Uh, Yusuf, any final comments before you would thank our sponsors and get into our final segment for the evening, our Bridging the Gap? No, no. I want to, because we have such a great Bridging the Gap, and because of the length of it, I want to make sure we, you know, get everything in to uh, save time for that. So you summed it up perfectly right there, Max. So I just want to thank our, yeah, thank our callers. Thanks for everybody that tuned in. Uh, thank my mom for turning away from, from one of her favorite shows to tune in to us tonight. And thanking our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SEMA Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash abolition today and the Abolition Today Facebook page for all the news, information, and music you hear on the program. Also, we have our newly created Twitter page that I'm working on populating with information, so it's, that's going to be at Abolition Today Online. Oh, I'm sorry, at Abolition Today, the number one. That'll be our Twitter account, so you'll be able to also tune in there for a lot of information. We're also available on all major podcast platforms. Remember to join the movement at AbolishSlavery.us to become part of the solution. You can also text END THE EXCEPTION to 52886 and follow the prompts. This will send a signed petition on your behalf to the congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. So tonight's Bridging the Gap. Uh, I want to give you a little background information on the Bridging the Gap. 
if I can pull it up really quick, I thought I had it ready. The first anti-slavery convention of American women was held in New York City on May 9th through 12th of 1837. 175 women from 10 different states and representing 20 female anti-slavery groups gathered to discuss their role in the American abolition movement. During this convention, the attendees elected officers adopted the, the attendees elected officers adopted resolutions about their goals and committed to the abolitionist cause. They organized committees that created documents such as an address to free black people, communications to other female anti-slavery societies that weren't present, and appeals to all American women. This gathering represented the first time that women from such a broad geographic area met with the common purpose of promoting the anti-slavery cause among women. Mary S. Parker was the president of the gathering. Other prominent women went on to be vocal members of the women's suffrage movement, including Lucretia Mott, the Grimke sisters, and Lydia Maria Child. The attendees included women of color, the wives and daughters of slave owners, and poor women. So without further ado, we will play the Bridging the Gap and Address the Free Colored Americans, an Anti-Slavery Convention of American Women, 1837. And that's going to be followed by Welcome to America, which is Black Thought, C.S. Armstrong, and Angela Hunt. We'll be back next week, February 5th, 5th I believe that is, February mm-hmm. 5th. Inshallah, God willing, willing, with another masterclass on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. 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 Section 1 of an address to free colored Americans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Klatt An Address to Free Colored Americans Issued by an Anti-Slavery Convention of American Women Section 1 Beloved Brethren and Sisters, The sympathy we feel for our oppressed fellow citizens who are enslaved in these United States has called us together to devise by mutual conference the best means for bringing our guilty country to a sense of her transgressions, and to implore the God of the oppressed to guide and bless our labors on behalf of our countrymen in chains. All of us have some idea of what slavery is. We have formed some faint conceptions of the horrors of a system based on irresponsible power, violence, and injustice. But to know what slavery is, we must see it worked out in practice. We must see the heartstrings severed one by one, and witness all the refinement of cruelty which is exercised on the body, soul, and mind of the enslaved. Let any man of feeling, says a southern gentleman, cast his thoughts over this land of slavery, think of the nakedness of some, the hungry yearnings of others, the wailings and woe, the bloody cut of the keen lash, and the frightful scream that rends the very skies, and all this to gratify lust, 
pride, avarice, and other depraved feelings of the human heart. The worst is not generally known. Were all the miseries and horrors of slavery to burst at once into view, a peal of sevenfold thunder could scarce strike greater alarm. Swain's Address, 1830 We can readily believe this testimony to the physical sufferings of the slave. We apprehend these most easily because all of us are alive to bodily pain, whilst few comparatively appreciate the mental and spiritual degradation to which our oppressed brethren are subjected. Yet this is the most appalling feature of American bondage. Slavery seizes a rational and immortal being, crowned by Jehovah with glory and honor, and drags him down to a level with the beasts that perish. It makes him a thing, a chattel personal, a machine to be used to all intents and purposes for the benefit of another, without reference to the good, the happiness, or the wishes of the man himself. It introduces violence and disorder, where God established harmony and peace. It would annihilate the individual worth and responsibility conferred upon man by his Creator. It deprives him of the power of self-improvement, to which he is bound by the unchangeable laws of his Maker. It prevents him from laboring in a sphere to which his capacities are adapted. It abrogates the seventh commandment by annulling the obligations of marriage, and obliging the slaves to live in a state of promiscuous intercourse, concubinage, and adultery, thus setting at naught an institution established by Jehovah himself, and designed to promote the happiness and virtue of his creatures. It dooms its victims to ignorance, and consequently to vice. I think I may safely assert, says Mr. Moore, that ignorance is the inseparable companion of slavery, and that the desire of freedom is the inevitable consequence of implanting in the human mind any useful degree of intelligence. It is therefore the policy of the master that the ignorance of his slave should be as profound as possible, and such a state of ignorance is wholly incompatible with the existence of any moral principles or exalted feeling in the breast of the slave. Speech of Mr. Moore, House of Delegates, Virginia, 1832 how horrible must be that system which demands as the necessary condition of its existence that knowledge should be shut out from the minds of those who live under it, that they should be reduced as nearly as possible to the level of brutes or living machines, that the powers of their souls should be crushed. Let each one of us ask, can such a system be aided or even tolerated without deep criminality? Addressed to the Press of Kentucky by a Committee of the Synod of Kentucky. But even if slavery could be divested of all its horrible accompaniments, its ignorance, licentiousness, and other nameless abominations, we should still regard the circumstance of man holding his brother-man as property as one of the blackest crimes which corrupt human nature ever invented. Mr. Moore, in the speech from which we have already quoted, is compelled to acknowledge the iniquity of this system. It cannot be denied, he says, as a general principle, that it is an act of tyranny, injustice, and oppression to hold any part of the human race in bondage against their consent. The right to the enjoyment of liberty is one of those perfect, inherent, and inalienable rights which pertain to the whole human race, and of which they can never be divested, except by an act of gross injustice. 
If we would rightly estimate the wretchedness in which the perpetuation of this act of gross injustice has involved one-sixth part of the population of Republican America, we must compare the condition of our slaves with that of the free men of their own age and country. Things are estimated by comparison, and the man who is deprived of every natural, civil, and social right, while all around him are basking in the sunshine of freedom, must feel the fangs of slavery much more poignantly than the one who, though subjected to similar privations, beholds his lot but little below that of those who surround him. We must not, therefore, compare the situation of slaves in the United States with that of the slaves of heathen Greece and Rome, where equal laws never existed, and where the beams of liberty and Christianity never shone, but to form a correct judgment of the miseries endured by our slaves, we must compare them with the laboring class of our population in the free states, and we may then comprehend the debasing influence of a system which produces such dreadful results as are exhibited on almost every southern plantation, where the lash is the principal, if not the only, stimulus. You are, dear friends, in a peculiar manner fellow-sufferers with those who are in bondage, because the whites, having reduced their colored brethren to slavery, with a cruelty proportioned to their unjust usurpation of power, have labored to impress on the mind of the community the unfounded calumny that the people of color are unfit for freedom. This assertion is designed on the part of slaveholders as a salve for their consciences, and a plea for the continuation of slavery, and is used by the adversary of all good for the diabolical purpose of shielding from merited infamy the system of American slavery. Welcome to America, where you can dream as long as you can breathe. You can be the motherfucking president of the United States or get murdered right on these streets. Welcome to the sense that a father my pop gave me to suffer The friends I will follow was crack babies and hustlers It's still sharp and still in the block Made me a cutler, my pen is from the future like Octavia Butler My grandmother sutured a flag from bloody cotton The fruits of her labor, alas, already rotten My man said, Joe, it's crazy how fast that we've forgotten That we used to pull boxes and plows like we were oxen and cows Without an option, and now it's this glorious, victorious story Only pitch for me to shut it down they sold some of us down the rivers It's such a broad level of fraud I get the shivers It's insidious and it's always been hideous I had to tread water and run Be amphibious They do you so dirty for one Yo, what cleanliness to make you want to let off a gun Instead of emptiness like Reach now, lover Reach now Yeah, I'm ill-fated and hated, I'm hella melanated Black, this is my religion, to that I'm dedicated I follow the laws of nature by which I'm regulated The universe, my university, I'm educated This one is for my very revolutionary doctor Keeping it a hundred, even though the truth is heavy Who stand firmly and see that life is a journey To either God or the journey My public defender Bernie told it the district attorney In a turbulent trial, they told me that time is master What I'm serving it now Tell my family I'll be making my return in a while And every symbol of oppression I'll be burning Welcome to America, where you can dream as long as you can breathe. You can be the motherfucking president of the United States, get murdered right on these streets. Welcome to America, land of the breeze and the home of the free. You can be a saint or a sinner or a billionaire or just stand on your feet. Welcome to America. 
on the ancestors' ashes and bone From a pure heart, the Lord fashioned after his own When packaged and flown to the essence of his African throne For every lost body crossed, torn, feathered and torn There's no way I could measure the cause or ever exhaust But whether it's yours or mine, this American cloth Has never been soft, while history was running its course I ran hard from Jamestown with slaves found Jesus and foul Demons that never be charged with malfeasance I sat through they revival, though I never found credence I found that we had never known shit about freedom I've been charged with treason, I've been scarred and freezing I've been called the nigger and then called the heathen When hounds found me, they couldn't even tell if I was breathing In America, we're on black men, it's open season Abolition, 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 abolition if we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.